Welcome, Rosie, to the podcast. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Yeah, I, um, I'm so glad that you're here. And I really think uh, it's, it's, it's cool how all things kind of worked out. I think I'll share kind of how we came together. Um, but I read about your story or a piece of your story that was in Dr. Judith Herman's new book. Um, and in her book, it's Justice and Repair, or is it Repair and Justice? Uh, truth and Repair. Thank you. It They all mean the same to me, <laughs> really, because it's truth. And she talked about a client that she had in the family. And I was, my mouth was like, I was just like, I had so many other questions. And I, I was so interested to know more. And then I got a message. I I don't know if it was, yeah, it was after I had put the podcast episode out. I got a message from you, not knowing it was you. And you were talking about, um, you know, that you had written this book, which is Fortunate Daughter, a memoir of reconciliation. And I was like, oh my goodness. And so I, do you remember I asked you, <coughs> I said, are you the person that Judith Herman wrote about? And you went, yes, I am. And I'm like, I have to talk to you. I have to read your book is what I first said, because I really wanted to read your book. And, and then we talked about, you know, would you like to be a guest? And I don't, I don't know this book, this book, I, I just, I, 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 as you can see, I'm speechless. It, it was, um, it's your memoir, but the way that you wrote it and expressed your feelings as a child surviving childhood trauma, childhood sexual abuse, and the idea of uh, healing and coming together as a family. I just, there's just so much, and we're going to talk about all of it, but I, I think I probably contacted you as I was reading and I think I was talking, feeling like I wanted to reach out to you, but really I wanted to reach out to the younger you. Because in the book, I could really feel her. She was expressing, you know, what she was experiencing. And I was there. Like, you really feel like you're there as you're reading it. It was just excellent. And and I'm so, I feel blessed to be able to talk to you about your experience. We can get even, you know, more questions and more answers perhaps on some of the things in the books or some of the themes. So where to begin? I mean, there's just so much, but I guess, you know, the first thing that comes to my mind is this, everything that you went through and while you were going through it and you were, I believe, were you a, were you a young adult or were you a, like a late teen when the idea of help for your family from an outside, professional outside help was proposed. How old were you at the time? Uh, good question. Uh, so I'm I'm really happy to be here and to talk with you. And I'm very, you know, glad and relieved and inspired by the podcast that you've created. Just even the title, Healing Trauma, right? Like you got me. Uh, so uh, one thought that comes to mind in response to the question is, and I do a lot of stuff related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I was on a webinar on Wednesday and, and, and people were talking about, it's one thing to have people 
you know, do trainings on those topics, it's another for them to be really good at what they're doing. And we had people enter our life before uh, Dr. Judith Herman and Emily Schatzo, and everybody was well-meaning, but some people were able to help, some not so much. I think some people might've even harmed us. Um, so there's that, you know, who is the helper and what exp expertise do they have that they can lend to families like mine? So that's a question. And how do we determine that? Uh, and it was actually in a conversation with Dr. Judith Herman th that I had recently where I, she remembered better than me because I was talking with a reporter and she was asking me about all these dates and my age. And I said, you know, I, I was a kid, you know, like, I, I, I don't, I don't know a lot of sort of the logistics really, if you think about it, but I think I was about 12 when I met Dr. Judith Herman and Emily Schatzow. And there were all these different configurations of therapeutic intervention, if you will, for myself and other members of my family, including my parents. And then it was a long while, I was a young adult when uh, Judy and Emily, I'll call them Judy and Emily, uh, proposed this idea of doing a confrontation. And that's what it was called. I don't know if it's still called that, confrontation disclosure. And after learning what that meant, I agreed to participate. My parents agreed to participate. And that's sort of where I sort of locate what I would call the beginning of reconciliation. Uh, so yeah, lots of people, but I feel, and I think other members of my family feel like it was Judy and Emily, her colleague, uh, who, who truly helped our family. Okay. So that's interesting. So you, cause I do remember 12 and then I also do remember you older, a little bit older. So what was happening between 12 and were you seeing them consistently or did you come back later? It was, um, all sorts of things. I think there were moments when they were involved in actively helping us and it was making a difference. And then there were times when it wasn't, or there was chaos and uh, struggles, hardships that were beyond the scope of what they could do. And then we would depart either me seeing Emily or my mother seeing Judy or my father and mother both seeing Judy. And so it it manifested in different ways in part or in large part, I would say, because of the nature of our lives. And there was still at times, you know, drinking my father as somebody who physically, emotionally and sexually assaulted me and his active alcoholism played a role uh, so when he was drinking, when he wasn't drinking, it's still, it's still sort of a perplexion. I, both my parents have died. Um, but I, I'm, I still am very curious how it is that, well, both my parents agreed to have Judy and Emily in our life, but also that my father allowed it. it and I, and I, even as I say that as a confusion, 
it is also something I understand given what I grew to know about my parents. But, you know, you have to, you have to wonder, like, like it throws into question this idea we have of people who are doing the wrong thing, not being interested in not doing the wrong thing, right? It's sort of, it's fascinating in that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, wow, it's so interesting. And, um, you know, even when we 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 see Ju Judith Herman as, you know, one of the heroes because she was able to name complex trauma as not just being, you know, PT like PTSD in the sense of veterans and one-time events, et cetera. And after getting to know you, I thought, I wonder if she used your family as an example of, you know, that very likely, but but anyways, I, I, I know what you're talking about with some people um, in the name of help, not helping and sometimes making it worse. I think we can, many of us can think of examples like that. I sure have had them, you know, that in the name of professional therapy. And I know people today who have those experiences and it's like a re-traumatization. But then when you do find the ones that really get it, that have the qualifications, the retraining. Um, oh my goodness. It's just so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, and it reminds me, I'm a person who identifies as a counselor educator and I've worked with young people in their families my whole life. You could say, is that because of what happened to me? Probably, but you know, that's just, you know, one of my identities in any case, I, I practice what I do with a lot of humility because of what you're saying, there is a way in which helpers can unintentionally not only do no good, but cause more harm. And that is particularly, particularly um, injurious. And um, I think we have to be very cautious and we have to not be arrogant um, about what we're doing. And thank goodness, you know, I, I think you asked about whether or not Judy and Emily used our family as a you know, case study, and I'm sure they did. Little did we know, I mean, where they were at in their careers, right? Now that I, you know, know Judy a little bit more as a real person and somebody who acknowledges her age, I'm like, oh my goodness, she was, you know, she was 20 years younger than me when she started helping my family. Like what? Um, and I, I think she's particularly brilliant. Uh, and, and I, and I, and my family, my family and I are very indebted, uh, to Judy Herman and Emily Schatzow. So, um, there's many, there's many things I, I, I'd love to ask you and talk about with you and, and sort of get your opinion, um, about, but, um, the idea that the confrontation, as you call it, I don't know what they call it today. I remember, people talking about reparative, you know, or rather not reparative, but using the word like reconciliation. A restorative, I think, is what people say. It, do they? Okay. And and I think that some people just hearing the idea of reconciliation, they're like, yeah, like, no. And I wanted to talk about that a bit um, because I will be honest, like my first reaction is exactly what you were saying, how some people don't even necessarily think of it as a, um, necessarily an option because we think that if someone can cause so much harm and not have a felt sense of remorse or, 
you know, acknowledgement of what's happening. They don't see it. How could they possibly then see it today? And then you can have this reparative experience. So what are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah. And I have many, and I, I think about it a lot still. So one thing that comes to mind is that when I agreed to participate, it was with no assumption that my parents would respond a particular way. And, and Judy and Emily were very clear with me that if I was seeking a particular response, I should probably not do it. Um, because it isn't, you know, I think the process isn't predicated in, you know, knowing what's going to happen. If you, you know, A leads to B leads to C, it's not like that. In fact, it's again, only recently that I've learned from Judy that it's quite rare that, you know, in my case, it was my parents in a lot of people's cases, it's their family members, right? The people we know and love who do these things. They are the main perpetrators of childhood sexual abuse. This is my belief. So recently I discover that the kind of response my parents had was, was rare, um, not just at that time, but since then. Uh, so then there's that. And so there's sort of who I was and what I brought to the process. There's who was helping, who was orchestrating the confrontation, if you will. And then there was what my parents did. And you use the word remorse. Again, I witnessed recently, because I interviewed Judy on my podcast, Judy saying to me, as she was in the room, your parents expressed genuine remorse of the highest degree. They also participated in an amendment-making process that greatly limited their interactions with their grandchildren. Wasn't always easy. Wasn't easy for them, wasn't easy for us, but those were the terms, lasting terms um, that sometimes felt good and other times not so good. Uh, so so I, I don't know, I, I have this living question. If more people were allowed to participate in the kind of process that I was allowed to participate in, would they, and by they, I'm referring to the perpetrators, and I'm just calling them perpetrators, not that that's the only thing they are, but in this instance, given what we're talking about, that's that's who they are. Um, my father as the person who enacted the violence and my mother who didn't protect her children, right? Different kinds of harms, but still very painful. Uh, like if more people had access to the kind of option I did, would we have more stories like my own? I want to believe the answer is yes. Do I know? No, I don't. And there's a lot out there in the experiences that people have had and in sort of what we find out in the literature uh, that indicates good luck with that. Um, I'm, I'm a hopeful person and I want more people, you know, to have, it's not something you can guarantee, but I would like them both victims and perpetrators to have the option to participate in this kind of process leading to who knows what, but at the very least, and I'll, I'll stop after I say this, Judith is very clear. I spoke truth to power. And in doing that, that's a feminist principle. You know, I left um, 
being better off? And, and can I separate the reaction my parents had from how I ended up feeling? I can't, but I know I went into it not knowing what their response was going to be. I had no guarantee for how they would respond. Yeah. And I hear you. And I, I, I know Judith has said, I think she said it on my podcast too, that it's rare. Cause I, I, I said the same thing. Um, I'd like to believe that there would be remorse or there would be an acknowledgement, but, but one of the things I really, really, really appreciated, and it's what you talked about. Could you say that word again, that feminist word about the empowerment? What's that word? Well, that will, um, it was you the power. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, yeah. that, yeah. Oh, I had to take a breath for that because that is so important. And there's almost this part of me that feels like, but what if I do that? I have that opportunity and I do it. And they try to take it from me by denying, by, by saying, minimizing or bypassing. Would that take away my empowerment? That's what I'm wondering. Well, I mean, I don't know. That's the honest answer. And uh, Judy and Emily have done these with other people. And to my knowledge, to my understanding, nobody who goes through it uh, loses. Uh, everybody gains. And I, I think of it a little bit like, you know, the biblical story, David and Goliath. Yeah. Uh, if you, you know, stand up to the bad guy and, and are able to walk away. I don't want to say unscathed because part of living, anything we do impacts us, but there's, I think when you do things that you're afraid to do and you find that you're alive afterwards. And I really thought, I actually thought I might die. I, I mean, I, I've told people this, I, I thought either I was going to kill my father or that I would die. I, I really did. And um, I did it anyway. And afterwards, I was still alive. And so, yes, they they responded a particular way. And that's part of my story. And even if they hadn't, I can actually remember, you know, there's three parts to the confrontation. You say what happened, you say how it impacted you, and then you you ask for things. It's not till you get through all of that, that you have an understanding of what is going to come. And I remember saying those words about what happened to me and having power come back to me, right? And 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 I think I'm talking to somebody who also understands the power of naming things, right? Because we live in a culture that generally tries to avoid calling something what it is, right? Even that word incest, I mean, because it, it is particularly, you know, to family sexual assault, you know, you don't even hear that word very much. It's it's very interesting, just the words we hear and the words we don't hear. But there are the words that come out of us, you know, that we've decided upon, that we are speaking, that land, and we discover that we're still here. And I think... I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that is something available or I want it to be available to people. And, and again, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, I'm not the expert in that regard. Yeah. 
I I hear you and um you know the idea of naming it and coming out of your mouth um I think that ideally the way that that would work well even if it's not received as we would like is the way that you guys had it was in a very um controlled environment with a lot of support but doing it let's say between the two of you or three of you without support I, I don't know. No. And I'm going to say, absolutely. We were in the hands of people with expertise. Right. And so I think we need to do more to train people. You know, there are a lot of schools of social work right now. I, I, I know of them where people are learning how to help families and they never talk about childhood sexual abuse. Like what, you know, what happens when you discover that that's what's going on in a family? Do you pass that person on? Do you send them somewhere else? So there is a way in which we need to do more to acknowledge what's happening, uh, appreciate sort of the depth and the breadth of how it affects us and provide people real support, real expertise for when they want to. And there's no way any of us could have behaved the way we did without Judy and Emily there to guide us for sure. Yeah, that was, you know, um, I'm telling you, like, it, it was a God thing, because after reading everything that you went through and feeling it, it was almost like, and then they came, and Judy and, and that other lady came. And it was like, it was help, the help. And I just felt so happy. So happy that you, that you guys had that. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I want to make it that it's not something that, uh, you know, uh, there's the title of my book, which is called fortunate daughter. We could discuss that or not, but like, I want it to be that we're not just like in the right place at the right time and get this kind of help. That isn't how I see sort of the world that I want, uh, the world to be, I want it to be things happen. And when they happen to children who are helpless, helpless, right? All children are helpless in relationship to adults. That's why it's traumatic when they get hurt by the adults who know and love them. We need to have services and systems in place that are there to respond in a way that is actually going to do something that will improve the situation. So a lot needs to get better than it is right now, you know? And- and I'd like to think my story, you know, I picture it sort of my throwing it out there into the ether or the milieu or the dialogue, if you will, of, of, of restorative justice and seeing where it goes so that, so that it's not like, oh, well, Rose, you were so lucky you had Judy and Emily or Rose, you were so lucky you had parents who were willing to be sorry. I want it to be, no, when you have these things in place, it's more likely it's more likely that you're gonna have a positive outcome. Yeah. Yeah, and you made me think about, I, I can't remember if it was in your book. Was it in your book where the, where you went to a, a social worker first? Yeah, there was, there yeah. were a few yeah. social workers and like there was a psychiatrist who, <sighs> you know, in classic, I don't know what to call it. It was a different time too. Mm -hmm. You know, he was a family therapist and he, he wanted us all to sort of do this work together. And 
my siblings and I were like, what a farce, you know, or there was the police officer telling my sisters and I that if we behaved better than my father wouldn't drink, or there was, you know, the judge who didn't, uh, grant us the the restraining order that we went, my sisters and I, to get. Like, so there were people who were in authority in authoritative positions, right? Who who didn't do what they should have done. Right. That that allowed the injuries to persist. Yes. And we know that still happens today. <laughs> uh, and that wasn't a, a happy laugh. That was a really anyway. Yeah. 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 So so some of the things that um, I, I'm looking at a couple of notes that I made just so that I would remember because I, I thought they were important um, to talk about. And that is, um, can you talk about this idea of how children, even though a parent may be abusing them and they recognize that they can still at the same time love them, even when they are being hurt by them. I know you talk about that a little bit in your book. Do you want to? Yeah, no, this is, this is really important. And, um, and I think a lot of people, like, it's sort of interesting. People can be skeptical about my parents' willingness to participate in the confrontation and then the subsequent sort of steps they took to participate, if you will, in our family's recovery. There's a lot of skepticism about that. And mostly, um, a lot of my friends say they have to meet you, Rose, to realize that you're that you're telling the truth, right? But anyway, um, there's that, and then there's this other thing that I think more people, more of the time, can understand, which is, and I had a, a person at a reading I did a few weeks ago come up to me after I, I I I I gave the reading, and he said, you know, Rose, I I I didn't come from a family where this happened, but but you reminded me of who I was as a child and, and who my child is in relationship to me. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you're, you're gaga over your parents. You know, you just want your parents to love you and you love them. Now it can happen in a person's life that, that things happen that I would say detract from that feeling. But in terms of how we come into this world, we're wired to connect to the people who are responsible for taking care of us. That's that's how it's designed, right? And so we want to love our parents and I believe our parents want to love us. So that's one thing. The other thing is, and I think this is true a lot of the time, you know, my father did terrible things, but he did wonderful things and he was fun. And, and it was, what's that thing that they call in psychology? It was like interval re- reinforcement. You know, it was hard to predict so that lack of predictability also contributed, like maybe today is going to be a good day. Maybe today he won't drink. Maybe today he won't, you know, assault my mother, you know, like that question. But there's the the way we want to love our parents no matter what. And then there is if if people are not just terrible, horrible people, which most people who do bad things are not, then they have these nice qualities. And when you can be with them, you know, when they're being nice, uh, uh, it's a beautiful thing. It's a really beautiful thing. And it is true because we, we also, 
depend on them. That's the other part. We depend on them. And so if we depend on them, we know we need that attachment, even if the attachment is potentially scary or dangerous. Which is why then we blame ourselves, right? I mean, to go further, Mm -hmm. and I know that I'm talking, you know, to somebody who understands, you know, this other thing we do is done because it's a better option psychologically, right? Uh, to, To locate ourselves as being the one who made it happen, allowed it to happen. It's not true. It's not true at all. We are dependent. What choice do we have? Um, but anyway, that's that's another piece, I think, of the therapeutic work that that people have to do. Yeah. So it's 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 complex, you know. Um it really, really is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you you may just what came to my mind right now, which sounds so interesting about all of these things that are complex, is that. You know, I can remember being a child and even though my mom was terrifying to me as a child, I was frightened of her. I can remember being like if I lost my mom somewhere in a supermarket, I would be terrified to find her. And often I thought, interesting, I'd be terrified to find her, the one that's terrifying. Attachment. Yeah, you know, terrified like I need to find her, terrified to lose her, right? It's both at the same time, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is, I, I talk about this too, which is, you know, my story inserts a third option. Like most people that I know who've suffered, you know, all manner of childhood abuse, including sexual abuse, like you have kind of these two options. You either, you know, no, don't say anything and go to the family gatherings for holidays and whatnot and bite your tongue or go in the bathroom and throw cold water on your face and grab, you know, somebody's hand and say, when are we leaving? You know, you, you, you endure your family because you know the truth, but you don't, uh, you don't confront anybody, um, but you stay in relationship. And the, the alternative is you totally sever um, connection you, you, you make your life separate, but it's a huge, it's a huge cost to leave your family. Uh, and, and I, and I, I, I have respect for both. I don't judge if somebody wants to never bring it up. I mean, now that my book is out, I have so many people approaching me and a lot of them are like, I, 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 I don't know when I'm going to say anything, but right now I still, I still don't want to tell anybody else, or I don't want to tell anybody else again. And and I'll just, you know, do these these family occasions, if you will. And then there are other people who, like I said, have have severed all connection. And these are respectable choices. I, I mean, Judy talks about this. Like, you want people to be, you want the people who've suffered to be in the position of deciding what to do. You know, and that is also another thing that's not as robust as it should be. You want the victims to be the ones making the choice because it's the choice that was taken from them. Yeah. And that's part of the uh, uh, um, healing journey is because if we've, if they've never felt safe enough to make the choice, even though they're adults and, and, you know, realistically they could, 
their bodies are going to respond physiologically with a sense of activation because it remembers that that the doing that was threatening and so it could feel terrifying to do that as an adult it takes yeah. it takes work i always say tiny little tiny little baby steps will get you there tiny and yeah. that's great you say that because i think we live in a time where we think um you know the revelations and the epiphanies are these sudden, big, um, strong um, things. And there are things like that that happen, but most of the time it is what you're saying. It's these steps. I mean, for me, like preparing for the confrontation was part of the confrontation, right? Having to figure out what I wanted to say, writing it down, reading it out loud, you know, like all of that. That's, that's a, I mean, it's a lot of time, frankly, you know, to, to do that. And it's small steps. It's all these small steps. I, I want to go back to that because uh, so many of us um, wish that we could do that, that we could say all those things that we didn't get to say because it wasn't safe to say it. We would, something bad would happen if we say it or it wouldn't be received. And then we, we sort of feel like we're carrying that unspoken, you know, so the idea that you got to, you got to say it, you got to say it. Um, did you feel like you were embodied when you said it? Or did you feel there was sort of like, that you weren't there? There was like a little bit of dis, di, um, removal. I don't know. Um, I'm just curious. Yeah, no, great that. question. Yeah, no, that's a good question. I think it's so long ago. I don't really know. But when I sort of remember uh, and I can, I can remember the pages on my lap, you know, certain things about the day I can remember. I also wrote about stuff that happened to me. So this is another thing, and I'll, I'll get back to your question. Like, I, I think, um, there's, I have so much respect for the efforts people make to be brave that even if, for instance, pretend when I was reading the words, I disassociated. Let's say that's something that could have happened. So what? So what? You know, like we do what we have to do. Like, I, I, I'm like, wow, like, that's just great. You did that, right? Maybe the next time you do it, you know, because you're going to do it in your room by yourself, you won't disassociate, you know? And, and as you were saying, you know, the body remembers, right? This is a thing too. There's our mind, there's our hearts, and there's our bodies, right? And our bodies, what does Vessel van der Kolk say? You know, the, the body doesn't lie, right? Um, but but writing for me, and I think for a lot of people, writing is healing because it um it externalizes, you know, you, you use the word about what we're carrying. So you kind of put out what is in you, you put it out of you, you put it on the page, and that alone makes it have less power. So when I was writing my book and trying to figure out how to make it into a story a story that didn't just make sense, but that was artful and compelling. And I had to order it and decide if I would do it chronologically, all these decisions and which things were facts and which things were memories and which memories were more accurate each time. And then I would write it. I would read it. I would read it to myself. I would read it out loud in different writing groups I belong to. I would get feedback like each step in that process, those little baby steps, allowed me 
to become stronger, right? I'm, I'm more than the things that happened to me. I'm more than the things that hurt me. I'm more. I'm becoming more of who I am when I'm letting go of that stuff. And uh, yeah, I think that's what I want more people to have. I want more people to have that experience. And I think, okay, having the experience I did, I don't know. But I think if you can, you know, it's what Eve Ensler did in her book, The Apology, you know, you can, you can imagine an apology. You can, you can describe it. You can paint it. You can sculpt it. You can, you can put out in the world the apology that I'm going to say you deserve, right? There's no question that you deserve an apology. Of course you do. Will you get it from the people who harmed you? Maybe, maybe not. If you have the right people helping, you're more likely, but still, I don't know. So then give yourself, you know, give yourself the apology that you deserve. And that too, I think can be very healing. Uh, and it's not just through writing, but writing is, is sort of my, that's my artistic expression. I'm curious about when you said paint it, sculpt it. So how do you sculpt an apology? I mean, it would depend on the person who was doing the sculpting. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm looking at somebody who has a creative side. What's that term that's used now? Creatives. We're all creatives, right? Yeah. I never I mean, thought I was, but I think I am. <laughs> oh, for sure. No, no doubt. Right. I mean, because like we are, we are life, right. Mm -hmm. And life is it's, inherently yeah. creative. Right. Yeah. And so what would, you know, I, in the Boston commons, I live in Massachusetts. They just uh, erected this big sculpture of, um, I don't even know what it's called, but it's like the hands of Martin Luther King and Coretta Scott King and whatever you may think about the sculpture. Uh, it is like the embodiment of a part of what the message was that they were attempting to deliver. And there it is, you know, and I think it's called something, I, I don't know, I, I, I don't want to be quoted on this, but I think it's called something like justice or or, or love or something, you know, and it's like, oh, there it is. So what would, you're making me think, I would love to make a show where people are invited to create the apologies that they deserve, that they never got. And then we would do the whole place, the whole museum would be filled with apologies of all kinds, right? Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so you would go in there and you would receive apologies from all these people, right? Do you have a big See, museum? I, I don't, but I'm acting like I do, huh? I know, I'm like, it's Just because kidding. of this conversation. No, this is the thing, because you're talking about the real parts of the healing. Mm -hmm. And I always say to people, my reconciliation couldn't have existed without the healing, but my healing couldn't have existed without the harm. So all of these things are connected. I'm as healed as I can be from the harm you know, like it's, it's related. It's related. Yeah. Very, very interesting. It's just making me think about all these different ways. You know, you talked about the, the uh, getting it out here and putting it on paper. And that's why I'm a big fan of somatic therapies because we carry a lot of those patterns that have a lot of energy they constrict when we're triggered or something is reminding us of something that happened in the past. 
and 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 with somatic therapies there's ways that we can mm, help our systems to um sort of uh i don't want to say metabolize but in a way it is a metabolizing or um yeah i guess that is a an okay word but there's a way that you can help your body to learn how to come back to safety faster and to bring in goodness because we're always looking for those threats but now like helping your body look for what is good what is settling what is soothing what is okay and feeling it in your system and <clears throat> that's a big big part of the felt sense of healing in your body yeah. too yeah yeah no and it's really good you're bringing that up because i think like a, a residual lasting effect of trauma is that you're trying to be in today but you're in yesterday right and how, how, you know, like we're all supposed to be in the present here and now, well, how do you do that when the past is lingering that way? And so somatic therapies, I would say, you know, somebody at a recent reading asked me like, what kind of things did you do? And I named all sorts of things. I just started listing things and I realized, oh, I tell a lot of different things and it has included therapy, different kinds of therapy. I, I did a model mugging class once that was popular where I learned how to punch somebody in the face who was trying to attack me. I mean, I, I, it was strange, but wow, it was really kind of amazing, you know, and I could pretend the person was somebody, you know, um, there was more than one person I could imagine. Uh, I've done psychedelic drugs. I've prayed, I've meditated. Like, you know, it, it is it is all right to try out different things and, um and see what, what fits, you know, and maybe what fits when you're, you know, I'm going to be 60, but what fits when you're 20, 40, 60, it's going to be different. Right. Right. And then choosing, you know, to take breaks in my day, choosing to go outside and feel the sun on my face, choosing to have people in my life who treat me well, like this is, this is the daily work of living and trying to be in today and feel glad to be alive. Uh, that's, that's what I believe. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, I use this so that in case my dog doesn't bark or I'm not breathing heavy, but then I forget to turn it back on. Um, say again. I was going to say that is the actual work of healing. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. It is. And so you're never done, you know, it's not no. a noun. It's a verb. No. Right? Yes. It's a verb. You know? Healing yeah. is a verb. Yeah. Yeah. Healing Did you hear that? Word. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. So I, um, I mean, I mean, I could have you here again. There's just so much. Um, I guess, is there any last thing that you can think of that you feel like, okay, I, I, I just want to say this before we close, if there is. Um, let me think just for a second here. Sure. I mean, I, I'm indebted to Dr. Judith Herman and Emily Schatzo for their for their expertise and their courage, I'm indebted to my parents for their courage. Um, and I'm also indebted, you know, when when we, my sisters and I partnered and had kids and didn't know what we were gonna do about, you know, having little babies and then toddlers and then five-year-olds around this person who did these things to us, even if he wasn't ever gonna do them again, like, how do you figure that stuff out? So we did the hard work my husband reminded me of this recently. He's like, Rose, we chose, 
you know, we chose, the people who entered your family chose to participate with you and your sisters in figuring out how to do it and how to do it safely and how to honor your need to stay connected whilst not putting our children in danger. So the legacy, this is what I want to say, the legacy of childhood sexual abuse in my family was interrupted. And if I were to draw, if I could do a, what are the boards they have on Zoom? The, the, if I did a genogram of my family and I showed you on both sides, on my mother's side and my father's side, all the people who were perpetrators in my family, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous, you know, and, and yet it's pretty common. It's also pretty common. So it's terrible and it happens a lot and we have to do more to interrupt the cycle of childhood sexual abuse. And I think you know, my writing this book, you having this podcast, that's part of that. That is how we interrupt the the legacy. It is. Yeah. Oh, and it is, um, yeah, and it's choosing to do things differently than what was done to us, you know? Yeah. And to acknowledge and thank you so much for your time with us it was an absolute pleasure talking to you so again i want to show people the book um if you can if they if they see the video anyway um you're so cute you're wearing a little is it a snowsuit look at that smile a little yeah it's in the snow yeah oh yeah. my people goodness tell me so they can still see my face uh, yes my yes face. I, I was thinking of that before <laughs> yeah excellent excellent book thank you for writing it and i i hope and pray that it goes all over the place and, and helps people on their own, on their healing journeys as well. Thank you. Thank you, Monique.